The following program is a paid presentation. The views and or opinions expressed do not necessarily reflect those of Starnes Media Group or KWAM. Jim Shoemaker and Michael Powell are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securian Financial Services, Inc. Securities dealer, member FINRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. Helping you make the most of your money. It's time for Talk Money. Here's your host, Jim Shoemaker. Good morning and welcome to the program. Whether you're a baby boomer or a millennial, it doesn't seem to matter. A common concern is always money. I'm Jim Shoemaker. Welcome to Talk Money. Well, my guest today, we're going to go from financial literacy to stress management and all the psychological problems in the workforce. And then we're going to have a guest, a very special guest, Karen Vogelsing will be here with us later on in the program to talk about Rice to Read and the impact that this city is receiving from that program. So you don't want to miss that. But first and foremost, guest today, Michael Powell, Certified Financial Planner. He is going to help us with something called financial literacy for that teenager that you have re-engaged for the summer and you're trying to make sure they're learning things besides just uh, how to handle their iPhone. And there you're teaching them managing money. Or if you're not teaching them how to manage money, maybe this summer is the time to do that. And Michael is going to give us a couple of insights. Michael, welcome to the program. Hey, thanks for having me, Jim. Michael, here's the problem. I am a 15-year-old, uh-huh. 16-year-old. The last thing on my mind, absolutely, if I got a top 10 list, it does not make it learning how to manage money. Oh, I know. Why not? Because it's summertime. <laughs> There's bigger things out there for the 15-year-old. Okay, I got it. Unless you got a summer job. Well, now, that's a good idea. So if yeah. I got a summer job, then that means I do I – no, I don't manage money. I just put it into a bucket, you know, and just right. when there's nothing in the bucket, I've managed it. I've managed to spend it all. <laughs> exactly. So what do you do? Let's talk about financial literacy and that 15, 16, or even a college freshman, they're about to step into a world where mom and dad has said to them, you've got to do a better job, and yet some are prepared and some are not. What are the steps they should be looking at? I think one of the bigger steps, of course, number one would be if you have someone that you trust, a mentor, a parent, a loved one, if you can cope with them or talk with them about it, that's always a good start. But educating yourself, first and foremost, would be key. And what I mean by that is whether you take an online course, watch YouTube videos. I think they even got TikTok videos now, Jim. I don't know if you know what TikTok is. I do know what TikTok is. Give me a break. They got short videos probably about all these different financial topics. But um, I think educating yourself is the big thing. What And there's a lot of ways to you do it. You know, that. I read an article that talked about the fact that 20% of our kids in this, this America do, are, are just financially illiterate. So you're telling me that how do you encourage then? Again, let's talk about this mindset. I'm going to ask Shannon Dyson to join us too. He happens to have a couple of these age kids. And uh, you think maybe he could join in and tell us what – I bet he's got it all done. What do you think? I bet he does. I don't know. Welcome to the program. Thank you, Jim. Yeah, we, we've got it all taken care of at okay, our go, house. So, so I can <laughs> – we, we started when they were four or five, four or five years, years old. old. And by now they're they're pretty – They're smart as a whip. And no. Uh, they, thank goodness for mom, right? We, we struggle at our house just like everybody else <laughs> for sure. Oh, yeah. I'm going to come back to you though. But let's talk about this. When 20% of my kids are – financially illiterate you're talking about taking an online course 
give me some insight. I mean, that can be that can be all over the place and extremely difficult if I'm not that interested. Yes, it definitely can be. And maybe not necessarily going full fledged online course where you got to sit down and do more right. school after you're out of school or anything like that. But a good summer reading, if you want to encourage your child or even yourself to read something, I think would be Napkin Finance. It's a book by Tina Hay, H A Y, and. Um, it's a pretty thick book, but each chapter goes over a specific subject in finance, whether it's how to check your credit score, how to apply for financial aid for student loans, what's investing. I mean, there's so many things. And the nice thing, Jim, is that everything you could be written on a napkin ah, okay. as far as like that concept or that idea. So it's not one of those thick reads. It's fine print. It's one of those things that the concept is that you just dive into it. Maybe the parent should take it one chapter at a time or something like that, but you're talking yeah. about just, just the education, and that is just moving that child through. Yeah, I think, too, that, that taking it slow like that, because you get through, you're talking about right now 16, 17, 18-year-olds or kids that are in college, there's not a lot going on. So if they learn those concepts early of listing out my things that I'm paying for or if, am I saving any money or how much money am I making – there's not a lot to put on that napkin, so you've got just a few things there. If they can get into that habit, well, then when they get older, because I promise you, in the workforce, you'll see people that need this type of financial literacy as well, not just the teenager. Oh, yeah. Michael, I know you do a lot of teaching where you're teaching people financial literacy. I yes. mean, this is a thing you do in your practice and helping people understand. I know you've talked to me before that sometimes just the language of finance can be very difficult. Oh, yeah. There's so many acronyms and different symbols and all this other stuff that we don't really understand unless we're dived into it a lot. So I think starting out with just simple concepts like, you know, what what's a bank account? How does a bank account work? You know, how does credit cards work? Um, all those simple things can be taught over time. It's not like you got to sit down and have a crash course for three months. I know we've recommended before stuff. when you talk about the language and things is giving a child, we talk about allowances before using that allowance, mm-hmm. but, you know, helping that teenager or that college freshman to understand this is the dollars coming in. In other words, it's work. Maybe it's work dollars. Maybe it's an allowance dollars. Maybe it's a, you know, a stipend or something, but there's dollars coming in and then there's dollars going out. Right. And I think learning how to manage expenses. So you recommend a lot of times a person just to simply know their expenses, write the expenses down. Yes, write them down on paper. On paper. And not, I know you probably growing up learned how to do it, it up on a <laughs> on a stone, right? Yeah, I got you. I, <laughs> I was going to say going. balancing a checkbook. Yes, we did. That was going to be nicer yes, than yeah. that. Well, it's it's easier for us older folks because we did have to balance a checkbook. We had those little registers <laughs> that you wrote every, yeah. everything down, the That's check, right. every expense down, and now everything is online. And so, you know, my son, who's now 20 years old, has an online bank account, and you ask him how much money did he spend last month, and he says, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> no <laughs> idea. The, let me check the app. Let me, let me check the app and tell you. I learned yeah. how to do it through a checkbook or balancing a checkbook, too, but that got old after a while because once I figured out there was a, an app for, for my checking account, that was a whole lot easier. But, I mean, there's so many different ways that pe- – and everybody has their own preference. I mean, I sometimes just use a simple spreadsheet. I mean, spreadsheets are pretty easy if you know Excel, but – um, you know, just listing out, categorizing your expenses. I think that's the first part of that. It's like, how much am I going to spend on fun stuff, entertainment? Or what do I routinely spend on my services that I subscribe to, whether it's a reading subscription or YouTube or uh, 
Disney Plus, any of those type things, I know that's coming out every month. And then just going through, the hardest things to track are usually like how much I spend on food, which we all are guilty. I'm the biggest spender and going out to eat probably. And it's like, oh my gosh, I wish I could just budget out. Right. You know, just cooking at home and saving a whole lot more money. But I think starting out with like that particularly. Miscellaneous items eat my lunch. I mean, I go to Walmart. I'm a a Walmartaholic, and so therefore I go, and I'm only going to go get one item. By the time I get out, I've spent $150. I don't know how that happens, but they're very good at that. That's my wife at Target. Is that Target? Okay, mm-hmm. same thing. It's just Target Hollet, you know, the same way for there. Yeah. And you have a tendency to do that unless I can remember teaching my teenagers when they were going through that process of here's a budget and the budget had cash in it, just cash. And mm-hmm. so, therefore, if you went to the store to buy something, you only spent what was in the envelope cash, cash only. Dave Ramsey talks about cash only. And I think that's a there's a sense of – see, when you talk about the app, I don't touch the money. When I talk about doing some transaction through, you know, without being touching the money, I don't really feel like I'm spending money. You don't even have to pull I out anything in your wallet now. No. You can just hold your phone up phone to the reader and it just – It's done. It's done. Well, I think, Michael, the one thing that you said that, that really resonates with me is that categorizing expenses, mm-hmm. that, that when, you, when you say I spend X amount of money on food, but you don't actually list that out and say, okay, I spent this at the grocery store, I spent this at McDonald's, I spent this at Wendy's. You ask my son, what did you spend on food? He has no idea. He has yeah. no clue. And then when you put it on paper, you're like, whoa, I spent that much money yeah. on, on yes. food this month. And you don't realize it until you actually write it down. When we come back, if you just tuned in, we're talking with Michael Powell and Shannon Dyson. We're talking about really financial literacy for that teenager that you, the parent, maybe you're told to take some time and, and spend some energy teaching. And so we're going to give you some ideas on what to do. We're going to talk about specifically some things that you might be able to just kind of step into, whether it's the book Napkin Finance by uh, Tina Hay. You might want to check that out. It's a great book. Uh, we'll be back, though. We're going to kind of give you some things. And what are we going to talk about is start a savings plan, something that a lot of people have no earthly idea of what we're talking about. Stay with us. We'll be back in just a second. I'm Jim Shoemaker. This is Talk Money. This material represents an assessment of the market environment at a specific point in time and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information is not investment advice or a recommendation. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Investments will fluctuate and when redeemed may be worth more or less than when originally invested. Welcome back. I'm talking with Shannon Dyson and Michael Powell. We're talking about financial literacy. And, you know, Michael, I was reading something from the, 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 an article that I read about press room, and I think you've read the article from uh, U.S. News, and it talked about this lack of financial literacy skills with teenagers and said that we're 20% of the teenagers today are, you know, suffer from financial literacy problems or their literacy skills. They don't understand essential concepts, financial concepts, products, risk. All that's a part of a problem. We have been talking about, you said, you know, do some education, spend some energy, try, you know, just talk to people, find out, go to an app, go to something that you can learn from. Mm -hmm. And I know you teach this a lot, but let me ask you this. When we talk about listing expenses and and doing it, what do you see? I mean, I know you're going to talk about savings, but this, this person going through this process of becoming an adult, you know, buying a house, buying a car, making... 
What do you see as the biggest issue that they need parents need to be preparing that child for? I think it's really just trying to maintain some sort of routine and checking your finances. I hear from people all the time. They say, like, you know, I hadn't been very good about, you know, checking where money's going. It may have been three months since I've checked my, you know, checking account activity or whatever. And I'm like, golly, that's that's, that's a long lot. Time. Yeah. It's a long time. And then also you think about the saver or the person that's trying to save. And I'm like, look, I, I get paid. I pay my bills, but I, I can't seem to find anything left over because I find a way to spend it. Well, you need to change that attitude to where it's I get paid. I save something first. And then I pay my bills. And then if I have anything left over, I can spend it on whatever I want. Because that mentality comes in. If I'm saving what I need to save, I don't feel as guilty if I buy that extra Starbucks uh, mm-hmm. coffee that month or uh, go splurge a little bit at the Target um, whatever store. Yeah, because you've already saved the money and you don't, you don't feel If you can get into a habit of that early, especially as a teenager, boy, that's mm-hmm. extremely helpful. Uh, and then I think one thing that we haven't mentioned is, especially for teenagers that are just getting jobs or maybe had a job for a year or so, knowing what you actually make. I'm picking on my son this morning, but you know he had a, he got a job this summer, and he said, I'm making about $400 a week. I'm going to have $800 every two weeks, and he got his first paycheck after two weeks, and it was like $670-something. He did not understand what those that FICA underneath <laughs> that was and what med- – he didn't understand what that was, and but you know he was expecting 800 he got six ninety. Understanding what you actually make, so then you can know what you can save and, and spend. I heard you guys during the break talk about the word intentionality, being intentional about what you're saving. You said pay yourself first. Yeah, you're saying know your paycheck, knowing those things down. Guys, intentionality is so important when it comes to managing money, being financial literate. And so we're saying to everybody, this is the summer. It's after the pandemic. You're reengaging. You're taking the vacation. Make it something intentional. The book, Napkin Finance by Tina Hay, that's a good book. Mm-hmm. Anything. That, what about the mentor and the idea of someone saying, I need help. Let me help you. Yeah, I think um, bouncing ideas off and thoughts off of people that you trust is always helpful. Um, it doesn't matter if it's your dad, your mom, your uncle, a coworker, whoever that you trust enough to just talk about these different things. Now, you may not want to ask anybody about this because it's kind of like you walk in a room and you ask 10 financial advisors, hey, what would you do in this situation? <laughs> You're going to get 10 different answers, all good answers, but just different ways of approaching it. So I think if you can find someone that you trust, even if it's simple stuff, like, hey, what's a good bank to use? Who do, who should I call if I need to consider buying a car? How does that process work? I mean, there's plenty of people out there with good life experience that would be able to help at least. <laughs> I'm thinking of two 15-year-olds walking down the street talking about money. Think that'll happen today? <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> I don't think that's going to be the – that's not their top subject. Is that what? I, but no. you get us some great insight. The bottom line is – is you get some get some training, go in and do some studies, and and let parents maybe help or uncles, as you said. Yeah, or even um, parents, if you're if you really want to start, you know, ingraining at least some sort of literacy to your kids, uh, try and do it at the dinner table. Uh, like eat dinner, maybe read a chapter of something or read an article together and just learn more. And it could be something applicable to the situation. It doesn't need to be, hey, this is how I. 
options work in a <laughs> stock You know, stock we're not talking about options and puts and calls. You're yeah, talking no. about balance in a checkbook, how much is coming in, how much is going out. The reality is be intentional about teaching that teenager. Don't think for a second that they're just going to pick it up. It's not going to happen. And we see it all the time. Young married couples come in, and they are not literate. And, Michael, I know you have really spent a lot of time teaching people. Thank you, sir. It's Michael Powell, certified financial planner, and does a tremendous job. If you want to talk to Michael, you can call him at 757-5757. Now, I'm going to kind of change course here because I have a guest today, along with Shannon Dyson, but Claire Green is with us, and she is going to talk about a subject that I think is an issue because of the pandemic, but it's been an issue for a long time. It's the whole idea of a mental health, stress, anxiety, all the problems of the workforce, and what do you do? Claire, welcome to the program. Hey, Jim. Thanks for having me. Hey, Shannon, wake up. I'm awake. <laughs> He's awake. I'm here. All right. Now, <laughs> go, Scott. Let's go, guys. I want to talk about this. This is a really big subject. Claire, when you talk about this problem, I mean, the idea, how, how, what kind of an impact did we see last year with the mental health, mental problems in the workforce with COVID? And is it over? And what's, what, do you, what do you see with working with clients yourself? The impact of this, I mean, the pandemic, there is a new normal for a lot of people, right? There's increased isolation. There's financial distress uh, there's a digital mental health platform out there called SilverCloud. They did a uh, survey near the end of 2020, surveyed a lot of U.S. employees, and 90% of those surveyed said COVID-19 had contributed to increasing their stress level, and 81% of those people with depression and anxiety have experienced a much greater need for mental health treatment during COVID-19. So this new normal, there's a lot of increased isolation in people who are needing help. I read something from the internal medicine, the uh, uh, New England internal medicine, the, the book, the, the, the thing that comes out every month that talked about that uh, alcoholism was really up as a result mm. of the pandemic. And it was, you know, medical issues from, from additional intake of alcohol. And we know that's self-medication for a lot of people that are struggling. And again, stress is stress. And whether it's, uh, you know, stress doesn't just happen with the pandemic. We saw it increase. But let me ask you this. How how do we manage this? How can I find my mental health benefits? If I'm an employee, how do I go about finding out what's available for me? There are a few ways you can go about this. There's a few key people at your company that you could talk to as a first resort. So whoever's doing the benefits administration, whether that's an HR director, whoever that is, they're going to have the information about your current policies. There's also your insurance broker who wrote and manages those policies throughout the year. But you can also look online to see, look at, let's look at my, uh, my policy. What benefits are included there? It's key to know what you have and know how to use it. All right, knowing how to use it, then let me ask you this. With the reality, this this thing of mental health support for employees, there's a thing called the Employee Assistance Plan. Explain that. So this is something that is currently offered with certain policies that are already part of group benefits package, a lot of uh, long-term disability policies. This is something that offers employees essentially a 24-7 helpline that they can call to talk with licensed professionals from the comfort of their own home, 
right? So there's there's this increasing, uh, or really this stigma surrounding mental health. And I think with the pandemic, people realize I need help. I need help fast. I want to talk to people from the comfort of my own home. And these employee assistance plans give them the opportunity to do that with a licensed professional. So that's really stepping in, and I guess I'm assuming that I can be confidential with that. I don't have to go in and say, hey, I'm having stress and anxiety and serious. Absolutely. So tell me about that. So you can uh, connect with somebody either face-to-face or online via, you know, Zoom or Skype. They've got opportunities for you to connect with these licensed professionals. And a lot of times when you're trying to set this up, um, if you're trying to meet in person, it's going to take weeks. But if you set something up online, this can happen really quickly. All right. When we come back, I want to dive into this in deep because I think it's very, very, very important. How do I intact, you know, come in contact with someone that's helping me? All right. That's important. If you just tuned in, we'll be back in a second. You're listening to Talk Money. I'm Jim Shoemaker. My guest will be back with us in a second. Don't miss it. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Neither Shoemaker Financial nor Securian Financial Services are affiliated with Karen Vogelsang or Arise to Read. The views and opinions expressed are those of Karen Vogelsang only and have not been presented on behalf of or endorsed by Securian Financial Services Incorporated or Shoemaker Financial. Welcome back. My guest is Claire Green and Shannon Dyson. We're talking about literally a problem in the workforce today that's not new, but it is definitely seen an impact as a result of COVID, and that is mental illness. Now, you know, let's make sure we understand something. We're not talking about the person who's hospitalized. We're talking about the individual who comes to work every day, who's not sleeping, who's exhausted, who's going through some anxiety and stress and all the issues of the problems of what's happening at home, the change of their lifestyle, the new normal, all of that rolled into one. And guess what? I'm stressed out talking about it. <laughs> so reality is, I mean, you should see, uh, you got to watch I mean, the producer of the program. She's in there dancing. And then, you know, what can I, you know, what am I saying? <laughs> you know, you can't really, I mean, she got me concentrating and yet she's got my attention. But that's good. All right. But a big smile on the face. That's good. But here's the problem. And, and Claire, I want you to dive into this with me. What do you know are the employees saying? I mean, I know. You've done the surveys, you've looked at the surveys, you've done a lot of research on this. And, and reality is people don't like to say, I can tell you I have a heart problem. Mm. I can tell you I have a knee problem. But I tell you what, people don't like to talk about I'm stressed out, I'm, I'm heavy anxiety, I'm not sleeping at all. What about what are employees saying in these surveys that are confidential? Great question. So two-thirds of people that were uh, – you know, surveyed in that Silver Cloud survey said that uh, their employers could be doing more to offer them support and education on what their current mental health benefits are. So they saw a need. Correct. They felt the need. Absolutely. And they understood the need. So we're talking about getting some some mental health benefit to and to work your way through 
uh, an anxiety and stress issue. Shannon, do you see that in talking with your business people that you're talking with all the time? Yeah, it's difficult now, especially because you have a lot of people that have been working from home. Um, now they're trying to make the decisions. Do we come back to work? Do we stay home? Do we incorporate some sort of hybrid model into what we're doing? Um, but employers, you know, they are, there is a mental health um, benefit in every health plan that you have. We don't know what the benefits of it are because it can be different, but with an employer making sure, especially when you have people at home, making sure they know what those benefits are, it becomes more difficult when you don't have somebody in the office or you don't have, you know, communication becomes a little bit more difficult. So just making sure that people know exactly what their benefits are. Claire was talking about an EAP plan. Um, that's in addition to whatever your medical plan benefits are. So there's several different options that most companies will have. It's just a matter of getting that information out and letting employees know you don't have to come to me, the employer, to tell me the problem. We actually have telephone numbers, confidential lines, or you can use your insurance to go get help without having to come to us. Bottom line is it's communication, communication, yep. communication. If you'd like to talk to these two people, Claire Green and Shannon Dyson, telephone number 757-5757, area code 901. Claire, I, I, this is so intriguing, the confidentiality. So if I am at home, if I've got to come back to work, or I've had issues and all these and the stress, okay, let's just put it out there. What would you tell me my first step should be to get help? So whenever we're talking about the mental health benefits that are offered on a current plan, I think the first piece is to say, okay, what are those benefits look like on my plan? Is Are these subject to a deductible or is there a copay? Because when I'm stressed, when I'm anxious with the result of COVID-19, I'm also stressed about money. So how much am I going to be spending to go in for this? And so we want to see, do I have a copay so that I know I have a maximum financial exposure for the cost of this visit? Or am I going to be paying the full cost for that? So looking at your benefits online, because most insurance carriers will offer the access to look at these online, what do those benefits look like? So looking online... Can I can I do can I do the visit online? Do I have to go into an office? Or is there a way that I can connect with someone and, and maintain my privacy? Or you don't understand what I'm asking? I mean, Absolutely. so many people. As I said, we could I can tell you about my knee surgery, hmm. but I don't want to tell you about me my stress and my my marriage is in trouble. My 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 family. I've got a teenage son that's trying to learn financial literacy and, and mm. he's stressed out. Whatever. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? I Absolutely. want to be I want to be private with this. I want to be I want to be secure that all of a sudden I don't walk to the water fountain and everybody's staring at me and I know what I think, you know, I think what they're thinking about is me. You see? That's right. That's right. So there are online benefits that you can utilize, whether it's through that EAP or through the health plan itself, a lot of counselors are providing that digital option to have those screen meetings. So whether it's Zoom, Skype, however they have that set up, a lot of uh, counselors out there have set up the opportunity to meet with their patients digitally. That's important. Very. Now, here I am. I've decided this morning, listening to this program, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get some help. Mm. And uh, I need the help. And I want to make sure that I get it. And, you know, people just, I think that's the problem. Sometimes we just don't, we, you know, stiffer upper lip, I'm going to handle this. But people do need help. How do I find a physician that's going to be able to provide me with the assistance? Where do I go look? I'm in my employee benefit program. I'm looking at it. 
but I don't see the doctor's name. What do mm. I do? So on most insurance carrier websites, there's a find a physician or a find a doctor tool. Uh, you can search by the network of your plan to see, okay, which doctors are going to be in network on my plan? Because we know that, you know, visiting someone who's in network is going to save me money. So we want to make sure we're seeing the right people that can offer those benefits to us. So that find a physician tool is going to be key. Guys, you've done a great job. Shannon, is there a thought there from the standpoint of what the employer needs to be thinking about with this? Yeah, I think, to, well, going back to the insurance carrier, you know, a lot of times we get the insurance card in the mail. We never look at it again. We just kind of put it in our wallet or put it in our purse and kind of put tuck it away. Um, if you're looking for help or looking to see what your benefits are, the easiest first step that you can do is look on the back of that card, find the website of your insurance carrier. You can then create an account. Every insurance carrier is going to let you create an account where you can actually see the benefits that are offered to you. That way you're not having to go to anybody else other than the insurance carrier themselves and ask them the questions, what is available to me under my plan? Um, and anybody can have access to that. So create an account Yep. and then go in and you access it and your confidentiality is there Absolutely. just with the insurance carrier. Just with the insurance carrier, yep. Is that ever going to present a problem for you, though? Are they required to tell the world that you've had this issue? They're or? actually prevented from prevented doing that. From yeah, doing they, that. they cannot. So it's it's confidential. You don't have to worry about anybody else knowing about what you're talking about or what you're doing. But, look, if you want to get help and you want to talk to somebody, you can do that, too. Yeah. Uh, with, at, at your work or, or your employer or whomever. But if you are worried about the confidentiality, yeah, go straight to the insurance carrier. Claire, what do you think? Is this difficult in your counseling with people, working with people? What would you, how do you encourage them when you're talking to them about issues like this? Great question. So, I, I mean, I think it all comes down to finding someone that you're comfortable talking with. And like you said, you, you, you want that privacy. You don't want to have to talk to someone you're not comfortable with. You don't want someone at work knowing that you're dealing with these, these issues. So it's, it's so key to figure out what those benefits are and to find a way to use them. And that does come back to employers doing a great job on the front end of communicating, here's the benefits and here's how you can use them throughout the year. And, and know that your plan, if you have a group health plan, your plan is going to have benefits for mental health. It's just a matter of what those benefits are. That can, that mm -hmm. can range wildly from just paying a $20 copay to having to pay out of your pocket until you've met your annual deductible. Who knows what those benefits are? They're specific to each employer, but you do have the benefit. It is available to you. All insurance plans will have some sort of benefit for that. Can they call you guys? I mean, let me ask you this. Guys, I mean, seriously, if they're calling their advisor, their representative from the insurance company, are you bound also? You mentioned the insurance carrier is here. Absolutely. We, we encourage, and we if any of our companies, when we go out and, and meet with employers and we're telling them about the benefits, we also make ourselves open to employees calling to ask us any questions about the benefit plans. Uh, we represent, in that case, the insurance company. We brought that insurance company, that plan to the table. Uh, so we know what the benefits are. And so if, if we have a, with our clients, our employee clients know to call us or shoot us an email or ask us a question or get us on the phone and they can do that at any time. 901-757-5757 is the telephone number for Claire, Claire and uh, Claire Green and Shannon Dyson. Don't hesitate to give them a call. That's a great subject, guys. Thank you so much for that's great preparation on your part. And I think it's information that all employers and employees in this particular situation need to know about. Thank yeah, you. Thanks, Jim. Thank you. 
All right, we're going to be back in just a second with someone, a dear friend of ours, and uh, we're going to be talking about Rise to Read, a program in in the city that's having impact, but we're going to talk about something you need to understand. I mean, this is so important, and I tell you guys, it's it's really beginning to affect our children. It's called screen-based online learning and how it's going to change our kids' brains. You don't want to miss it. Karen Vogelstein, she'll be with us in just a second. I'm Jim Shoemaker. This is Talk Money. Welcome back. I'm Jim Shoemaker. My guest is Karen Vogelsing. She is with Rise to Read, a program in this city that has been going on for about eight years and just consistently has been having a great impact with second grade students. And yet the pandemic and some other issues and some things she's beginning to see, we're going to talk about that. And one thing we're going to talk about in just a few minutes, you don't want to leave, screen-based online training and how it's changing our kids' brain. But before I do that, welcome to the program, Miss Karen. Thank you, Jim. Glad to be here. I am a student in Miss Karen's classroom now, <laughs> and this is a fun time, and uh, I will be nice. Am I on the front row or am I in the back of this class? I'm probably on the um, front row. I think you're on the front, front row. row yeah, so you could reach me. I get yep, it. I yep. get it. She exactly. Of course, put, I didn't have rows. Oh, you didn't? No, sir. What small is, groups. Oh, small groups. Yeah. Well, then I was sitting next to you in a small group. No question asked. I, I would uh, use proximity, and I'd come find you when I need yeah, to. Yeah, you would. Absolutely. <laughs> Let me ask this. This is a Rise to Read so that everybody listening knows what Rise to Read is. What does Rise to Read do? Well, what we do in the most simplest form is we recruit and train volunteers to work with second grade students who are basically identified by their teachers, their administrators in their school, who are at risk for reading failure. And we recruit and train these volunteers to go and work with two children, one each for 30 minutes. So they're going to serve for an hour a week for usually mid-September to early April, and they're going to work on a very structured, what we call a foundational literacy skill, which is word reading fluency. And the reason we do that is that when children can read words fluently, then they can read sentences and paragraphs fluently. And fluent reading is absolutely critical for reading comprehension. That's the goal of reading, to comprehend and understand what we're reading. So that's what we do. We help children become great readers. So literally, when you talk about, I like where you said, help students become great readers because... That is the essence of graduating from high school. Yeah, I mean, that's the first step. You got to get through learning to read. I remember even as a kid myself learning to read and struggling with reading, and my mom spending the amount of time and a third grade teacher who just literally, you know, made me taught me. Of course, I got interested in the subject dinosaurs, and that helped a lot too. So, yep. all right, now let I me. Mean, when you talk about that, the pandemic hits. All of a sudden, classes are not meeting. So what was different working in this virtual learning thing? Huh? Well, we really didn't have a role in the virtual you know, learning field. Uh, about this time a year ago, talked with uh, leaders in family and community engagement at Shelby County Schools and asked us if we would be ready to serve virtually. So we worked really hard to create a virtual platform where we could meet with ch- children virtually through their, you know, their devices. Um, that unfortunately didn't work, but that ended up really being a good thing because what happened is we had um, some church partners that we had worked with in prior years say, hey, we've got these kiddos that are at the virtual learning hub so their parents could go back to work. Can you come and help them? We're really seeing a struggle. So what ended up happening is we surveyed our volunteers and we found out that we had 
between 200 and 300 of our 1,200 plus volunteers willing to go face to face in this environment and work with children. Of course, all the safety protocols were followed. Um, so uh, the other part that was different about this past year is that normally the teachers and the administrators of a school are identifying the children. In these virtual learning hubs, we had children from kindergarten all the way to high school. So all of a sudden, we're not just focused on second grade like we normally are. We're working with children with all these grade levels. So we go in, we pre-test them, we find out the ones who were not on grade level, and we focus them for the uh, support, priority for support, found those volunteers, and started working with them. You don't really have a problem recruiting volunteers either, do you? I mean, this is something that, I mean, I know <laughs> I, I, I said that, but maybe I shouldn't have said that. The reality is volunteers, you have a lot of volunteers that are so dedicated. That's what I should have said. Yeah. So dedicated to the program. They have a heart yes. for teaching kids. You always need volunteers. I know that answer. Absolutely. So uh, one of the things that's so unique about Arise to Read, and I've been working with two national literacy researchers, and they have basically told me that our retention rate of volunteers is just absolutely unheard of when you talk about volunteer programs. I mean, over 80% of our volunteers keep coming back year after year, which is an incredibly high percentage. Um, But in the course of the conversation with these researchers, one of them recently asked me, what would saturation be for Arise to Read in the Memphis area? And I'm like, I really have no idea. So we started talking about the estimated number of second graders in um, the school systems throughout the county. Uh, We looked at the reading proficiency rate of third graders from the last 10 ready resources we had. We estimate that there's probably about 4,000 children that need support. And prior to COVID, we were supporting an average of 1,200 kids. So from that standpoint, Jim, yes, volunteers are always a challenge. Always a challenge, and yet at the same time, you've got such an impact with so many students, and they're such a dedicated group of people because of the need. I guess what I'm thinking is when you, when you what are the volunteers learning about the students? Are the, you know, Michael, I'm going to ask you a question in a minute because I know you're still in the studio and I want to come back. Financial literacy is sometimes, you know, I don't want to learn that, but mm-hmm. it, do kids want to learn how to read? Is this... Do you see that when the student, when the teacher says you need to be in this program, are the students at that point excited about somebody teaching them? Are they coming in and going, I can remember me as a second grader. I'm not so sure I would have come in going, I can't wait to go to reading class. Initially, no. We have in a lot the, the very first visit that a volunteer has with a child is we have this little page called All About Me. So they're taking the time to get to know the child because they're going to make a connection, right? right? And that volunteer is going to work with that child through the whole year. So that's another part of the consistency of the program that that's affective, right? Um, but a lot of the kids, you know, well, I'll, as a coach, as a tutor, as a volunteer, I'll ask a kiddo, you know, hey, do you like reading? No, why not? I just don't. But what happens with the consistent presence of that volunteer, and a lot of them obviously are struggling readers. So once they find out they can and they do, then they get excited. And then we hear stories from teachers about what's going on when that volunteer is working with that kiddo. He is so excited or she is so excited about reading. And now she's carrying books when she comes out of the classroom and has to wait in line at the bathroom so that she can read. So just their motivation and their confidence improves. So they may not like it at the very first visit, but the overwhelming majority of them that by the time they leave the program, they are excited about reading. Wow, that's great. Michael, when you're coaching kids like this, do you find some of the struggles they have is reading at that level? I mean, at the teenage level, are they struggling? 
just reading this financial material? Yeah, I mean, I think of it for myself when I was younger. It's like extra reading that you don't have to do for school can sometimes be a little uh, tasking, or Mm -hmm. at least for all the other activities you're trying to do. But uh, I guess if you have certain interests that you're really interested in, I think it's a lot easier to start reading those things outside of normal learning and stuff. But uh, for me, all I read was like sports books. Well, I, like, yeah, oh, I got you. you know. I got you. <laughs> but I can listen to Miss Karen over here, and I can also tell you I know a lot of the volunteers. Your excitement is contagious. Well, and thank I, you. And I, that's what I think. If I was a second grader and I'm coming into that classroom – I would be excited to be taught by you. I think that would be, and I know a lot of the volunteers, they're engaged. Again, this is not a drudgery. This is something where they are absolutely interested in impacting a teenager, or a young person, to learn how to read. And they're passionate about it, and your passion is contagious. That's so important. I think that's important. If you just tuned in, my guest is Karen Vogelsing. The subject is Arise to Read, a program that is teaching second-grade students in the Memphis-Shelby County area how to read, and it is so important. I mean, you cannot imagine. If you want to know how to get in touch with Miss Vogel, saying Miss Miss Karen, it's 497-0618, 497-0618. She is the director, executive director of Rise to Read. I'll give you out her email address later on. It's Well, I'll just give it to you now, Rise to Read. That's the letter to, rise to, the number two, read.org. 497-0618, the subject. Here we are. We're now paused for what I'm concerned about, and I know you are. Screen-based online learning will change kids' brains. Are we ready for that? And that's an article that you handed to me. It's written by Marianne Wolf, and, uh, I mean, I, I was blown away when I read it. Talk yeah, about it. Yeah. Um, well, there's some things that Marianne has written. She's done a lot of research on this topic. And I think one of the most interesting sentences that uh, when I read this particular article is it says in there, we weren't born to read, right? We have to learn how to read. Our brains were never originally set up for reading. So we have to learn how to read. And so um, what's happened over the years is we've had more online tools screen-based tools to help children learn to read. Being in the classroom for 15 years, I've seen that over and over again. And it is having an impact on our brains, not just children's brains, but also our brains as adults. You know, the key is it's a real problem. I want to have you back and dive into just this subject. We covered all the things, but I need to have you back. This is a critical problem. It is. Well, if you've been listening to KWAM, the Mighty 990, time has literally gone quickly, too quickly. And, of course, I want to just thank my guest, Karen Vogelsing at Rise to Read, Shannon Dyson, Claire Green, Michael Powell, also with Shoemaker Financial and Shoemaker Insurance. If you have questions for Karen, I said you can reach her at 901-497-0618. And for Shannon, Claire, and Michael, you can call them at 901-757-5757. Next week, Bob Dahl, Chief Investment Officer for Crossmark Global Investments. He'll be here talking about the update on the economy. Scott Jordan, how much do you need to retire, and Richard and Redmond's going to talk about career transitioning, important subject. That's Wednesday at 9 a.m. and again on Saturday morning at 10 a.m. right here on KWAM, the mighty 990. If you have questions and you would like to get them answered on the program, send them to talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. Thanks for listening. We so much appreciate it. We're here every week helping you make the most of your money. This is Talk Money.
Jim Shoemaker and Michael Powell are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securian Financial Services, Inc. Securities dealer, member FINRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. 